Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Are we all ready this morning? I want to just introduce to you today our guest that is with us, that is the superintendent of the PAOC. The POC is Pastor Mark, and many of you know Kevin Rogers and uh, Don Rogers also over here, over at Calvary that's been down there. So many of our friends in the ministry over here in the city. Well, this is their boss. Okay, Mark and I and Val were uh, going out with us right afterwards. We're all going to be heading out uh, for dinner this afternoon, so we're very excited. Uh, David Wells has served as the general superintendent of the POC uh, since May of 2008. He was uh, appointed general superintendent at the general conference in 2008. They have over 1,100 affiliated churches. They have 3,500 credentialed ministers, okay, with a constituency of close to a quarter million people around Canada. Internationally, the organization also has 300 global workers serving in more than 50 nations. Those are all good, but this is the point that I wanted to bring out. David is not just involved in the ministerial. He also has served on the Canadian chaplain for the Olympic Games. In 2004, 2006, 2008, 2010, 2012, 2016. So he just wanted to cheerlead Pastor Howie and I when we were in the tryouts, you know, for the Olympics. Okay. But anyway, he also was with the Pan Am Games in 2011 and 2016. And the Commonwealth Games in 1990, 1994, 2002, and 2004. I'm saying all that, he's involved in everything. But the most important thing to me is he's a friend, but he's also been an incredible encouragement to Kathy and I, him and his wife Susan. Susan will be in with Kathy in the next service. And we just so appreciate his spirit and his love for the kingdom and unifying the body of Christ. When you hear me uh, talk at times about praying for the Jackson Point meetings, well, David and his team are the point people for that that puts it all together in there. And so he's really working a kingdom initiative across our land. So let's give uh, David Wells a warm Canadian welcome this morning from Windsor, Ontario. Love and appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Love you, yeah, you too. enjoy. Ah, thank you. God bless you. You're so kind. <laughs> That's good DNA to have in a church. <laughs> I've been in some churches, that's not the DNA. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> no, it is such a privilege to uh, be with Pastor Rick and Kathy and you folks. I've had the privilege of being here uh, several times to speak at a conference that was held here with OBFF and uh, uh, Canadian Fellowship of Churches and Ministers. And uh, I was the POC guy. And, uh, but good partnership there, and also I was here to celebrate the church's 30th anniversary, if I recall correctly, and you guys did a great job of taking us through worship from the 80s right on through. That was a great evening. I love that. I actually recognize some of that music. <laughs> In fact, I have the stripes from getting persecuted for introducing some of that music to the life of the church. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't always drums up there, you know what I mean? So, 
But uh, as Pastor Rick says, there's a great uh, connectedness between ourselves, but our fellowships and uh, the broader fellowship of churches and leaders in Canada, I just think that would really encourage you to know the vital part that your pastors play in uh, linking Canadian ministries across the country. So when we do gather, uh, you know, you have pretty well all of the leaders within the evangelical community gathering to share one another's uh, needs and uh, praise reports, but also to pray for one another. You go to uh, other involvements we have with the Pentecostal World Fellowship or Empower 21 or the Pentecostal and Charismatic Churches in North America, and uh, your pastor and uh, others within your fellowship are right at the table, and uh, we're there together. And uh, we just honestly believe what the Spirit said, what the Word says, that where there's unity, God's going to command His blessing. And we want blessing on our country. <laughs> so uh, a little advance notice, August uh, 2019, you're all going to be in Calgary. Uh, we're, we're working together on the Pentecostal World Conference, where Pentecostal and Charismatic people will gather from all over the world in Calgary in 2019. Susan and I were just there in, uh, at the conference that was held in Brazil, in Sao Paulo in September, right after the Rio Olympics. And uh, it was something to be out on an airport strip with uh, 80,000 other believers worshiping Jesus. So us Canadians are trying to figure out how we're going to get 80,000 people uh, to Calgary. So come and join us, all right? But uh, not just for an event, but for a real... Uh, sense of rejoicing in what God is doing in His church, and especially what He wants to do in Canada. Uh, the theme is Spirit Now. We believe for the church in Canada, it's now. We're not waiting around anymore. Uh, we believe God's at work. So thanks, Pastor Rick, for your friendship and this great honor today. Um, in the groups that Pastor Rick are involved, I actually wrestled this week with what message to share with you. And uh, to be quite honest, uh, my wife threw the deciding vote. <laughs> and, and I put your tech people through all sorts of scrambling because of it. But it was, uh, the, there is this uh, involvement that we have together uh, where when you talk about spirit-empowered leaders our age, Notice how I threw myself in there with you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my younger brother. Yeah. Um, we're very conscious of wanting to see a living, vital faith lived out in the generations that follow us. And we honor our young men and young women, even those of you here today, uh, for your heart after God, for the passion you have for Him. Uh, but across the country and around the world, in the Spirit-empowered movement, there is this real longing to see a living vital faith passed on. So we've been interacting with our young men and young women uh, uh, regarding what's on their hearts and what they would say to our generation of leaders. And that's where I decided to go this morning because it's so much a part of who Rick and Kathy and Susan and I are and just share that heart with you today. I hope that's all right. I hope my wife heard from the Lord. <laughs> But uh, 
to touch on that, we go to a text that really uh, illustrates it, and it's Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to uh, be in the first couple chapters, uh, but let's uh, look at 1 Thessalonians 1 to read the text where Paul writes, and he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask that that miracle would take place in this room that only your Spirit can accomplish where you take these words and you make them living and active in our hearts and minds, and we end up looking more like Jesus. We ask for that miracle in Jesus' name. Amen. We do understand the mission of the church is out of our fulfillment of the great commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and out of love for our neighbor as ourselves, which is demonstrated in the great requirement that says that we are required to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, that as we are people of the great command and the great requirement, we therefore go about fulfilling the great commission, that we, empowered by the Spirit, go and see people become disciplined followers of Jesus, so that they, too, would obey all that God has given to us so that they would know regeneration demonstrated through baptism, totally changed lives, freedom from all sorts of shame and condemnation and guilt to be free in Jesus, alive in His Spirit, and that they too would then go and make disciples themselves. And so that has this sense of and as Pastor Rick says, I'm a bit into sports and the Olympics, so it has that sense of a relay race where you start here and you're trying to see someone come from where they don't know Jesus from Justin Trudeau or, you know, whoever. You know, they're just uh, outside looking in. And so you come along and the Spirit's at work in that person and the image of God is in them and they've got this longing and this craving, this hook that's been built in them by God, uh, created in His image. So they long for more. And you or someone from the family comes alongside, maybe in, as a neighbor, a workmate, a schoolmate, however God puts us into their path and you introduce them to the opportunity for new life. You do such good works amongst them that they see it and they want to glorify God. And so that 
it leads to a place of transformation where they fully acknowledge who Jesus is and they come to living faith and they're set free. Well, then they're like a baby. They're like a toddler. They're growing. And so they need people to teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. They need people to come alongside through their ministry gifts and strengthen them and speak prophetically into their lives and spur them on. And uh, how am I doing in describing your life? You know, I can take you from here is my aunt Norma and Uncle Merle picking us up for Sunday school when the Wells kids weren't even thinking of church or Jesus or didn't know a thing, but they threw us in the car and they took us to Sunday school and then they took us to this uh, camp where Pastor Snyder and others had prepared the way for kids to come into encounters with Jesus. And I came to living faith as a young boy. And it was transformational. And I spoke in other languages and filled with the Spirit of God, right? All happening while I was a kid. You see, and then the Lord brings people into my life like Wally Muth who would meet us at the church every day into the section where we sat. And he'd get down on his knees and he'd say, David, David, I see God's hand all over your life. You're called, you, God's going to use you in great ways. This is a 12-year-old kid being talked to by an usher in the church, but spoken to prophetically, you see? And then you go on and through it all, it's all the people through my youth years that mentored me and loved on me and so on. You, you get the picture. And as you go along, you have those people that cheer you on and mentor and teach. And sometimes they rebuke you, you know, because toddlers need a little uh, diaper changes once in a while. And, uh, you know, we all need to get shaped. <laughs> so, you see, this is our mission. This is who we are. We bring life change to people through the power of the Spirit, through the powerful work of Jesus. This is what we're called to do, right? We've just read a passage where Paul is celebrating that in Thessalonica, it worked. <laughs> now, the irony is he was only there for a very short time. And he wasn't even sure how it all had wrapped up because they had to leave town. Just like the Acts 19 passage in Ephesus. You know, sometimes they got moved along before they thought they would want to, but they got moved along. And he, you know, this whole letter is based on him sending the letter back to Thessalonica through his emissaries, and he didn't actually know what they would find. But when they got there, they found wonderful things and truths, and they report back to him how it was. And, you know, it wasn't like social media and email and cell phones. It was like, send out these delegates with a letter and wait for weeks, sometimes months, before they came back with the report. And he's absolutely, as he writes First Thessalonians 1, he's absolutely joyful because their faith has really caught on. They're alive in Jesus. And any of us that have poured into people's lives, any of us who poured into our kids, even our grandkids, any of us who poured into people in the life of the church and in the community, you know what it's like that all you long for is for them to know the life of Jesus and the purpose of God in their lives the way He desires them to have it. That's your passion. That's your heart. So anyone worth their salt who says they love Jesus understands this process that I've just described. And all of the emotion and all of the sacrifice and all of the prayer that goes along with it. And you see, 
As we consider then seeing the Spirit-empowered life passed on to next generations in Canada and around the world, here's what the next generation says to us, what they're looking for. And isn't it interesting? And rightfully so. Way to go, young men and young women. The first thing they're looking for is spiritual parents. They're looking for the mothers and fathers of the faith. Sometimes natural parents, of course. But often it's other people as well. I had other people in my life that stepped forward as spiritual parents until my mom and dad caught up, (laughs) you see? And the church is desperate for spiritual parents. And what do they look for in those spiritual parents? Well, that they'll be authentic examples, living lives of integrity. Not perfect, but with integrity, leaning the right way, leaning in to be more like Jesus, not looking for grace to be an excuse for license, but looking for grace to be the reason that I'm transformed into the image of Jesus. You see? And that's, they got it right. So it's, in fairness to our American friends, it's no wonder there's such a crisis south of the border because when your choice is for leadership that lacks integrity, it's a horrible predicament to be in. And instead of throwing our social media bombs and everything, maybe all we should be doing is down on our knees in brokenness, praying for our nations, for leadership that has integrity, right? So, of course, our young men and young women are shocked by even the allegations this, this week because they get it. They know that's not where leadership is built from. Grace, yes. We all need grace. I needed grace this week. How about you? Yeah, you're not looking at a perfect guy here. But, boy, I'm sure trying to lean in. Me more like Jesus. Transformed in his image. The older I get, the more passionate I am about that. So they have every right. In fact, you know and I know that when the scriptures describe qualities for leadership, it hardly deals at all with all of the charismata side of giftedness from the Spirit and all of those great things, but it knows that the bedrock has to be character, integrity, That's the descriptors of elders and deacons, bishops in the life of the church. Our young people have it right. So they have every right to expect within the Pentecostal charismatic church that we will not continue to publicly embarrass ourselves by having leaders who say one thing and live totally a different way, who make it all about themselves instead about the will of God and the people of God and the kingdom of God. And then they, whether this was initially their phrase, but it's this idea that they want a demonstration of the life of the Spirit that's 24-7. That the Spirit of God was not given for us to have sideshows inside of auditoriums. Now there's a lot of beneficial and valuable things that happen in times of worship and the gifts of the Spirit operating and gifted people serving, right? So you don't hear me demeaning that. But when Jesus promised His Spirit would be given to us, there were no buildings like this. 
It was about a church being empowered to go out into contexts like Ephesus and like Thessalonica and like Jerusalem and other places where there would be lots of opposition and where they would live in a culture where they didn't have home field advantage and where they had to represent the life of Jesus in a way that would capture the imagination of the people they were being sent to. And Jesus said to them, you can't do that alone. You can't just do that with your strategies and your light shows and all of your talent. No, 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 no. You need to wait until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when my Spirit is upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will know what it's like to have a word of wisdom on a Thursday at the workplace when the guys you work with are absolutely wearing you down and things are just not the way you would picture. (laughs) And it doesn't have a kingdom spirit about it. You will have gifts of faith. You will have quickening to pray for people, to see the miraculous happen in your neighborhood and in your school. Naturally supernatural. Not artificially supernatural, not dependent on only in environments that we can create. The Spirit sends us out into every environment, into every neighborhood, into every school, into every workplace, not alone, but with the power of Jesus with us. And it shows up in real practical ways. So on Friday, I'm in with the Invictus game people. Uh, the Wounded Warriors are having their games in Toronto next September, and I thank the Lord for the friendship and relationship I have with my friends in major sporting events, and they've asked me again to serve and lead the chaplaincy and so on. That's great. Thank God, right? But all of a sudden, I'm sitting at a table with young women half my age, and I'm doing a Comparative Religions 101 talk for over, almost an hour, as they talk about the all-faith celebration that they want to have prior to the Invictus Games, and I'm explaining the respect we show towards the different faith groups, friends that I have that are imams and so on, the genuine respect created in the image of God, people that God loves, believing for them to know the transformation that comes through Jesus. But I, I, I reason with them, as Peter says, with respect. So, but then I talk about the distinctions. And I talk, you see, and you know what? There's no seminars out there that you go to that teach you how to do this with one young woman who was my manager at the Pan Am Games who I deeply love and care for, sharp as all get out, a university grad who ended up being my boss. Sometimes it's good for 60-year-old men to get bossed around by 30-year-olds, you know, it's good. And, you know, I'm not always the boss, right? Just your humble servant. <laughs> and, and these other, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no course. But Jesus told us, when you get into the environments where you might not know what to say, don't worry. Don't worry. I didn't have to worry on Friday. 
I'm, I'm speaking under my breath in other languages and interceding because I all, already have a heart of intercession for my one friend and I'm learning to really appreciate these other two, but I'm also wanting to describe our faith in such a way that it leaves them with a hunger and a thirst by the time that meeting's over. Yes, in a meeting, the Spirit comes with words of wisdom and knowledge. That's what we're called to. And our young men and our young women have got it right. And they're looking for our unity and our diversity. Well, I think you know our hearts. They got that right. <laughs> they're tired of the brokenness of the body of Christ. And we know it will always be a battle to endeavor to keep the unity and the bond of peace. You have to endeavor. It's a battle because Satan knows what happens if unity gets unlocked. When it gets unleashed on the world, amazing things will happen that would not happen otherwise. And he knows that. And he also knows that Jesus' name will be exalted and lifted up. Father, bring them to complete unity so that the world will know. Well... Does the evil one want the world to know that Jesus is the one sent? No. So he's going to wage against our unity so that when we keep shooting each other in the back and shooting ourselves in the foot, you know, all we're doing is marring the name of Jesus. Marring the name of Jesus. And our young men and young women know. Now, are they perfect in it? Does that mean they don't have conflicts? No, they got to work on it too. You know, we as Pentecostals charismatic love the book of Acts, but we forget that after the great passages of chapters uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, that by chapter 5, God's killing people because they're lying to the Holy Spirit. And by chapter 6, they're already making decisions based on racial inequality, and they have to be reminded that we do justice and we love mercy. And so there has to be a new system put in place and thus arises the deacon's ministry is a response to less than perfect unity within the family of God. But it's a redemptive response. You and I get frustrated by the things that aren't perfect in the life of a church. The question for us is what's the next obedient step I can take to close the gap? It's not to just turn my back and get all cynical and go, ah, oh, there you go, you know. Like, that's really going to lift up the name of Jesus, you know. So I'm not talking about mindless, you know. We, you know, we've been given minds to love God with all our minds. We've got discernment. We've got wisdom. But let's always remember in the end, it's about bringing glory to Jesus, not about our own agendas or getting our own ways. So you see, I believe our young men and young women have it right. And in this passage in Thessalonians, you'll see Paul as a spiritual father demonstrating these very characteristics. And I want us to finish up in that passage reinforcing to ourselves what it looks like to be so alive spiritually, to be the kind of spiritual influences, parents, mothers, fathers, that see a next generation experience all that God has put in their hearts to experience. You notice that Paul describes the attitude that he had. I thank God for all of you. 
You're loved by God. You're chosen. I want you to go back to pre-Jesus in people's lives. And I'm glad that there were people that did not view me as an inconvenience or somebody evil or whatever, but they viewed me as someone who they knew was loved by God and chosen and should come to know Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? We all have to be open to those that do not know Jesus yet and have the Lord put on our hearts and lives, but they are loved by me. My image is in them. Can you see it? David, Rick, can you guys see the image of God in your friends at work and school and in your neighborhood? Can you see the longings they have? I can see the longings of my three friends around that table on Friday, you see. And already there's a supernatural love that I feel for them to believe God for the transformation of their lives. They're not there yet, but I'm in their life now for the next year again. They're going to get prayed for. They're going to be haunting me. And I'm going to be doing spiritual battle that maybe up till Friday, maybe this gal and this gal didn't have anybody interceding on their behalf because no one who knows Jesus is engaged in that. I don't know. Maybe they're very prayed for, and I'm part of the answer to somebody's prayers. Isn't that great? But hey, especially in the context of the polarized culture we live in, you are people of the kingdom. You do not view people as enemies. If you view them as enemies, you have to love them if you love Jesus. You see people through Jesus' eyes. Paul saw the idolaters and the immoral people and the self-sufficient people of Ephesus and Thessalonica and all the cities where he was taken into mission, and all he saw was the possibility of transformation. A gift of faith, not to see people as they are, but to see what they can be. Do not get caught up in the spirit of this age that makes people either this or that, enemies. Oh, I know there are people of the light and people of, I know all the things, but you see, we have the message and the ministry of reconciliation. We don't do the polarized thing. We will not see an entire next generation of young men and young women in Canada come to living faith unless we're prepared to see them as loved by God, chosen by Him, and then to do what Paul then says, that I remember you continually. I'm praying for you always. That's the posture, you see. So this one gal here, that I started working with in 2014 before the Pan Am Games. You see, there's hardly a day goes by that she is not haunting me and that I'm not interceding for her and her boyfriend, now husband, you know. And when I see her on Friday, it's like, boy, we haven't seen each other physically for over a year, but in the spirit's eye, I've seen her almost every day since then. Because that's how you make disciples. That's how you influence the next generation. They're always on your heart and life. They're always in your prayers. And so, as you're involved with them, 
You're continually remembering, you're praying, you have an attitude of thankfulness, you see them as loved by God and chosen by Him. It becomes so evident to you, it's so evident to me on Friday that, again, as I said, we can't do this in our own strength. You know, I can't change a person's life. I need the Spirit to bring change. It's the Spirit who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. It's the Spirit who draws people to Christ. I lift Him up. I'm light. I'm a reconciler. But in the end, nothing... I couldn't even get my kids to clean up their own bedrooms. How am I going to see life transformation come to people that haven't even... This, this one gal didn't have a Bible her whole life. She had never cracked it open. Like 54% of all Canadians have never cracked open a Bible once. You don't have home field advantage in this spiritual battle. So we, as never before, have to be people of the Spirit, interceding for breakthrough, for divine moments. And you see, now my friend has a Bible that I wrote words of wisdom and knowledge into that the Spirit gave me as we wrapped up in 2015. And there I am, back in her life again, as ordered by God. You got, I, hope, I love these people. They're not just tasks to me. They're not just objects. They're loved by God. Chosen by Him. I believe that. And so Paul says, you know how we lived among you. What does he describe? It's interesting. How, go back to that first point about what our young men and young women long for, spiritual parents. Paul says, we lived among you as spiritual parents. Because if you go to chapter 2, after he talks about his posture with his spiritual children, where he says, you know, we were like a child among you. So there's actually three images. You got like a child, like a mother, like a father. Like a child is the, the Christian understanding of leadership that we don't lord it over people. Uh, we don't demand, demand, demand. We're good shepherds in the model of the great shepherd. We give our lives. We give our lives. And Paul says, you know, whenever I've been among you and among people I'm reaching out to, I'm like a child. Speaking of the humility, recognizing who I am and who I'm not. You know, seeing myself accurately within the sight of God, right? That's humility. Now, it's not the false humility of cowering around like I'm a nobody. No, you're a somebody. <laughs> You're loved by God. Christ is in you. You have the Spirit of God. You have giftings from God, right? So you're not cowering around. But you also realize everything I got is from the Lord. So the humility is there that just says, this is just the gift I bring to offer. That's all our attitudes, isn't it? So with that attitude, you see, of like a child, Paul then goes on, and you see this passage in chapter 2, beginning at the tail end of verse 6. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much 
that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. My tombstone, that's the verse. Everybody make note of that. Make sure Susan listens. Yeah, none of, no other schmaltzy stuff. Not RIP or anything. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives, our home, our car, our finances, our prayers, everything about who we are. We were delighted to share with you because you had become so dear to us, because you're called, you're chosen. The image of God is all over your life. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. We could go Saturday. I, I was at a grave. My mom passed away at the end of March, and she's buried in Edmonton, where I'm from. And... Uh, you know, I go back there, and I'm a 61-year-old man on Tuesday. <laughs> and uh, happy birthday to me. Okay, anyways. <laughs> it, it will be the first birthday that I haven't come into a room, even though my mom suffered with Alzheimer's near the end of her life. It will be the first birthday that I have not into a room, walked into the house on 78th Street in Edmonton. And the minute the door opened, have this little lady come around the corner, and the first thing I see is arms out. Hug. Even in her Alzheimer's state, sitting in a chair, she'd see me coming towards her, and all of a sudden, eyes brighten. That's my boy. That's my boy. So you see, all my life, I know what Paul is getting at here about what we look for. Now, it, it's true of men. Paul uses the mother imagery to speak of himself, so it's expected of all of us. Don't get us wrong. But you know and I know that the first default that we long for in a mother and the expectation of a mother is those open arms, that sense of care, that sense of belonging, like where mom is, your home. Your home. Isn't that what people in our culture long for today? To know that in our presence, whether corporately like this or individually in our homes or play, you're home, you're all right. And you know and I know that the love of a mother comes with a high cost, it comes with sacrifice. I'm watching my, you know, we have six grandkids, all six and under, and my wife just got back on Friday from grandma duty out on the West Coast, and she's beat, you know, she's, she's worn out. It's like she's a wasted woman. And, uh, you know, we, we made her go speak uh, two times yesterday in Hamilton to a women's gathering, you know, just to really wear it in, you know. So, I, uh, you know, we'll, we'll somehow get her in here today, you know, but... Uh, but, you know, she was talking about even the preparation she wanted to do and the study and so on. She says, Dave, there was, never an there was never a time. You're never your own. 
Right, moms? For those of you that are younger mothers, I honor and respect you today, honestly. I sometimes wonder how younger moms even make it through in their faith, you know. And, and guys should, of course, do, you know, we all understand the sacrifice side and the responsibility, but boy, there's something about a mom. Does the family of the God not need spiritual mothers like never before? be they male or female, to exercise this, you belong. And we're prepared to sacrifice and do whatever it takes. The middle of the night sacrifice. Where I'll wake up at 3, 4 in the morning with these people on my mind and all you can do is begin to intercede and ask Jesus through breakthrough, you know. That's the price of being part of the mission of God and the bigger family and to actually let people into your lives who you care for because God's brought them into your life. If you, if you don't want that in your life, then go find another mission. Is that blunt enough? The people of God are called to be the redemptive force of God in a world where people are getting smoked by the evil one, destroyed and defeated, torn down. He comes to seek, to destroy, to kill. And we are the redemptive force of God. And we come in the power of the Spirit, but we do it as an army of love, like a mother. We reach out to our culture and we say we're prepared to share not only the gospel but our lives as well. So the selfless service, it's the DNA of the kingdom. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Jesus doesn't recognize a church that doesn't understand how to operate like a mother. Because that's how he operated. Selfless service. And like a father, you are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And again, Paul is appealing to what historically we tend to look to our fathers for, first of all. And what are those things? Well, he says it's integrity. The very things the young men and young women were listening. You see how they're adding up here. So that heart cry for spiritual parents who live lives of integrity, you see, who are holy, righteous, blameless, who bring encouragement, comfort, and urging about purpose in life. So you live lives worthy of God. So you see, I was in Edmonton, and I woke up on that Saturday morning with my dad and made him boiled eggs, an 85-year-old man. He had just gone through a Sunday at his home church in Edmonton where they honored him for 46 consecutive years of being the church treasurer, where the books had grown from 60,000 a year to two, three million a year, depending on where they were at in building programs. I'm sure people around here understand that. You know, just took early retirement. His pastor had asked him, Ralph, Doug's moving to Regina. Do you think you could help us out? Sure, pastor. My dad is a man that I have not heard him make one promise that he has not kept. 
What kind of legacy is that? And I know a lot of people don't know that legacy. But I want you to know that in the family of God, that should be our legacy, that there are spiritual parents, women and men, that are willing to offer their lives where you can look at them, and they may not be perfect, but again, you know they're leaning in. They want to be more like Jesus. They're trying to be true to you and true to Jesus and true to what they say. And so to the men in this room to say, I say, now more than ever in the culture we find ourselves in, rise up, O men of God. Be who we say we are. Maybe not perfect, but young men and young women, I want you to know you can make promises to Jesus at your age that you won't be perfect, but you will keep them. You will stand up at 61 years of age and still be able to say, I love Jesus. I've lived my life for Jesus. I lived in love with the woman he gave me to. I kept my promises to her. I've kept my promises. I've kept my promises to the next generation to let them into my home and let them into our lives and go and pick them up and do whatever it takes. Young men and young women, I want you to know that integrity is not a thing of the past. No matter what you see in the culture today, even in this room are many, many people who live lives of integrity, who live true to what they've promised to Jesus. You know, my hardest battle with my dad when my mom was so obviously ill with her Alzheimer's that she needed to be taken to a wonderful care facility run by the Pentecostal community in Edmonton. You know, it still was, you know, well, and, and you know, he said with tears in his eyes, and I love, I love this. He said, I promised that girl, speaking of his 80-plus-year-old wife, I promised that girl, for better, for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, and I meant it. And my aunt and myself and others had to say, Dad, we know, we know. And that's why, because of that promise, you're going to do what's best for mom right now, for her physical well-being and so on. You're still keeping your word, just getting expressed a different way. But you see, it was so deeply rooted in his spirit. I keep my word. That's what I grew up with. Not a perfect man. He can be a bit like a typical church administrator, treasurer kind of person, you know? <laughs> you, you, you don't know what I'm talking about, but... <laughs> they left some money in the envelopes today. They didn't count it right, you know? With my dad, you do things right. You get what I'm saying? Well, that's not a bad example either. I'm just not quite as stiff as he is, that's all. But <laughs> You know, it was, uh, can you believe it? It was uh, snowing pretty good in Edmonton last weekend, just like it is this weekend. You don't believe that, but just. <laughs> I don't know if we've got any prairie people here. You know? Yeah, because I'm a, I'm a prairie guy. So I grew up playing hockey where unless it was minus 10 Fahrenheit over, you know, over minus 20 Celsius, they wouldn't cancel our hockey games in our outdoor arenas. And I'd cry when they canceled our games. Even though I knew if I played, after the first period I'd have these blocks of ice down there, 
and my dad would have to come take my skates off and, you know, wrap them up and warm them up so I could go out and freeze them again. And I wasn't a star. I was never going to make my dad a lot of money by getting signed to a big contract with the NHL. It wasn't going to happen. I was always sort of second wing, left wing, and I only got on when finally Von Bowler and the other guys figured that they'd had enough of a skate around for the first two-thirds of a period, you know, and then you finally got thrown out in the ice, right? But my dad was there. And the snow would build up, you know, as they cleaned the ice, and they built up this ramp of snow that was almost board height. And my dad would strategically place himself, depending on what period it was, to be along the left wing. Please understand, this isn't some guy who's got fixated ideas about how his son's going to make him rich. He knows how mediocre I am. But he's there. And it would come my time, and all of a sudden, you know, the puck would come over the left wing, and I have a little bit of open ice. And honest folks, I still have this memory as clear as day from when I was an 11, 12-year-old kid skating down the left-hand wing in peewee hockey, and I'd go by the boards where my dad was standing up in his galoshes, and, and I'd hear this, Go, David! Go, David! Go, David! Go, son! Why? Because, you see, when he and mom came to living faith and began to grow in their own faith, he was so proud of the faith I had and the call I had on my life that, you see, anything along the way he could do for me to be who God called me to be, he was going to cheer me on. It was always going to be. It is right now. He, he's got the magazines we write, and my article's always, you know, in the back page, and it, it's always sitting out there on the coffee table. He's reading, and, you know, all I keep hearing him say now is an 85-year-old man, he's still going, go, David, go, David, go, David. Be all that God calls you to be. And so fathers, and the heart of a father can be expressed through the women here as well as the men. We look at a next generation coming after us, and we don't envision a church that somehow falls apart and becomes less than it is. We do not feel in any way that our generation has attained all that the Church of Jesus in Canada can attain. So to our young men and young women, we want you to know, we want to lay our lives down, and we want you to build and go way farther and higher than anything we've ever seen before. Go, young woman. The call of God is on your life. You're as called as any young man. Go and be all that Jesus has called you to be. The Spirit is poured out on his sons and his daughters. Young men, don't get sucked into the world's mold. Don't think there's other or better ways to fulfill your life than to fulfill the purpose of God on your life. That is the highest calling. And your spiritual mothers and fathers lay themselves down and say, go, go, go. Be all that you're called to be. What a great mission we've been called to. And we're called as a family, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, from every tongue, tribe, nation, that we can demonstrate that his purpose is good. 
and it's there for every one of us. But it will take spiritual mothers and fathers who will lay their lives down so that others can rise and go way up and beyond anything we believed. If you're committed to being one of those spiritual mothers, fathers, and you're half my age or older, <laughs> 30 or older, and you're just committed in your heart to be that spiritual parent, would you stand with me right now? Just right where you're at, we're going to pray for you. Of course, we may not have natural children of our own. Maybe that's when it comes to the family of God, spiritual parenting is for any son or daughter who will step forward and be who Jesus calls you to be. If you're standing beside others, just put your hands on them right now and just join hands or put your hand on their shoulder. And let's just pray for these very attributes that our young men and young women are looking for. Father, here we are today. Your children called by your name. First of all, Lord, we are worshipers. We revel in the purpose you have called us to. We love it to see transformation come to lives and to families and to communities and even nations. We receive that. And thank you, Lord, that you've chosen to do it the relational way by raising up spiritual parents, the Pauls, who will pour into the Timothys. And so, Lord, here we are today, and we recommit ourselves. Would you recommission many of us? Lord, we pray that we would live those lives of selfless service and care that you call us to. May we provide in our lives and in our homes and in this place a place that is home, that is a place of belonging, that is a place where people can find care, where their, their broken hearts can be mended. Lord, give us that attitude of a mother, Lord. Raise up spiritual mothers, we pray. We pray especially for the women amongst us, Lord. Lord, let them know your purpose. Let them be strong in that purpose. Spirit of God, empower them for what you call them to do. May they know clearly they're not left to themselves. For those who are natural mothers and grandmothers, may they know they're not left just to their own strength and their own ideas. Spirit of God, quicken them for the great task they have. Let them be strong in you and in the power of your might, we pray. And Lord, we do pray like fathers that we will know lives of integrity. We pray for one another again right now as we have our hands on one another's shoulders or we're holding one another in our hands. Lord, we pray, build a wall of protection around this brother and this sister. Let them, Lord, be protected into the good and the right. May they be more and more shaped into the image of Jesus by the Spirit's work. May the fruit of the Spirit be so evident in them. May that provide a foundation where they will have a lasting legacy into other people's lives because of the purity of Christ that is in them. Lord, thank you for integrity today. We honor the many people that have been in our lives through the years that have spurred us on, that have lived the life. Some of us are natural parents. Many of us, spiritual parents, pastors, youth pastors, children's pastors, people you've brought into our lives. We say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we want to somehow lay our lives down and spur the generation that follows to be all that Jesus calls them to be. 
young men and young women, if you'd like to join us in prayer right now, would you like to stand right where you are and say, yes, I am committed to filling God's purpose in my life. I am that daughter, that son who's going to be who Jesus calls me to be. Now reach out to these young men and young women. Just reach your hand out if you have someone near you and just, Lord, we pray for these young men and young women today. Thank you for your call on their lives. I pray, first of all, they would hear clearly again today how they are loved by you, how they are chosen, how they have purpose. I pray, Lord, that they would know that there is grace for them, that, Lord, even when the moments of stumbling, even when there seems times uh, when the evil one is resisting who they're becoming, that they would know that you are greater yet and your spirit is at work in them. We pray, Father, that you would fill them with the power of your spirit so that they would know that they don't stand alone, but, Lord, they have your strength to see them through. Give them words of wisdom and understanding at college, at school, at work. Let them be alive in you and to your spirit, Lord. In fresh ways, we pray. Guard them, O oh God. Just watch over them. Body, soul, and spirit, we pray. And we do believe, Lord, that the purpose they accomplish and the church that they are part of will be above and beyond anything we've ever seen before. This we believe together in Christ's great name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you this morning. Thank you.